0: The Full Circle Podcast on Hacker Public Radio This episode Ubuntu News Women in Open Source and Goat Festivals Hello world and welcome to our show on Hacker Public Radio In this episode, we thought we'd give another airing to the interview we ran last summer with Amber Grainer, lately of Ubuntu News and one of the women of open source.
1: The Full Circle Podcast is the companion to Full Circle Magazine, the independent magazine for the Ubuntu community. Find us at fullcirclemagazine.org forward slash podcast.
0: Circle Interview. So our guest this episode, blogger, journalist, mother of two, mainstay of the Ubuntu Women Project and regular contributor to Full Circle Magazine and the Ubuntu Weekly Newsletter, of which we'll talk more later, it's Amber Grainer. Hello.
1: Hey, how are you? <laughs> ah,
0: Battling the technology, as I seem to say every single episode, but we'll carry on.
1: That which doesn't kill us makes us stronger.
0: (laughs) I'll remind you if you ever get hit by a bus.
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) I might buy the ticket for the bus and not even worry about getting hit.
0: (laughs) What I'll try and do is not repeat the interview that you did with Leo and Jono back in Floss Weekly in March. And I'll even try not to repeat the interview that was in Full Circle Magazine number 35 and anybody who hasn't read that can go search through the archives and go find 35, because we're going to step boldly into the future, although I am going to do the obvious first, because nobody ever accuses us of being original. They mostly accuse... The Ubuntu Women Project, just, just give us a, a, a quick thumbnail sketch of what it was set up to achieve.
1: Basically, it was set up to achieve um, to let more women come into the Ubuntu Project and be a springboard out into the greater community, um, a lot of times, when um, when when women come into a project, especially in IT, whether you agree, disagree, like it, not like it, um, it is what it is. And and women are the minority um, in these groups. And so when when you walk into whether it's a physical meeting or an online meeting or anything, and you're like the the sole female of the group, it's it's oftentimes a little overwhelming. And so what we didn't want women doing is coming into the Ubuntu community and being overwhelmed. Um, we want to make sure that they had um, allies and, and they knew they could always come back to the starting point and then find a new direction in the community if they wanted to. Or to have um, an area where they could say, hey, does this sound right? Um, is, this, is this a good thing? Is this not a good thing? And, and to have a sounding board with other women too. So it's a camaraderie, a, a esprit de corps um, for women within the Ubuntu community.
0: And it's been running for a while now. What would you say is the current health of the project?
1: The current health is is amazing. We just had our first actual peer elected leaders, and we went from one leader to three leaders. And so we had three leaders elected by the team, not appointed by the community council, and not sort of just like leader by default. It was just that the team has now grown to where we needed some defined leadership. And so now um, Elizabeth Crumbaugh, Melissa Draper, and Lee Honeywell are now the three leaders of the Ubuntu Women Group. And, and we're we're holding competitions regularly to get more um, young girls involved and, and women, but especially young girls, um, because if, if they can get involved as preteens and teenagers, chances are that's going to take them on into adulthood to be open source advocates. and And so that's another thing that we're trying to do. We're also... We're revamping our website, we're revamping our wiki pages, and so we're really banding together as a group and um, really making our mark and footprint in the Ubuntu community.
0: I've, I've been 20 years in IT, and I know there aren't enough women in the IT industry generally, much less open source. I mean, the proportion should be 50% of the population, and we know it's not anywhere near that. How do we get more women in technology and specifically into open source?
1: Well, I don't know that I could speak for all women. I I don't even know that I can speak for me some of the times. um, (laughs) (laughs) Someday. But I think one thing is to make sure that it's inclusive. To make sure that and not just what you do for women, because what you do to include women or people in open source, people in technology is what you would do for anybody. But it's to make sure that that it is inclusive. And I'm sure we've all been places where it doesn't matter if you're male or female. You walk in and you just don't feel welcome. There's a like a thick undercurrent of this is um, a click kind of environment. And and we don't want that to happen. We want to make sure that it doesn't matter who you are, what age you are, if you want to get involved in open source, you ought to be able to. And it's just making sure that, that we understand the needs of of people wanting to get involved and so if there's a uh, a woman who's m- maybe they want to get they're they're working toward being a, a debian developer and the debian community is unique with you know a, a unique aspect of open source and so they're, they're doing that but debian and Ubuntu have that relationship as well so they want to get involved in the Ubuntu community we want to make sure if she's a developer she gets introduced to all the places in the Ubuntu community where her skills would be beneficial if people are like me and I, I really self-identify as being a, a non-technical or a non-developer end-user I don't like code but if, if they're like me and we want to show them where their skills could be used in the community as well so it's making sure that the community is very inclusive to anybody's skill set or lack thereof and they're willing to mentor people to become involved in the project so it's just a matter of inclusion
0: so where, where are the women in open source at the moment because f- with with a few notable exceptions, such as yourself, they seem to have quite a low profile. Are they are they in development, or the creative side, or management? And where where are they currently?
1: Well, I think I can only speak to the women that that I know about, and that is like, for example, well, look at Stormy Peters. I mean, she's, you know, the Gnome Project. I mean, that's when I think of Gnome, I think of Stormy. That's the you know first person I think of when I think of Linux Pro or Linux New Media or even a Ubuntu User Magazine. The first person I think of is Ricky Kite. When I think of um, Canonical now, I think of Jane Silber. She's the new CEO of Canonical. So so they are there um, and and they are across the community. I know that we just had the Southeast Linux Fest in. Spartanburg, South Carolina, two weekends ago, and we we boast of a higher percentage of women, both speakers and participants. And it didn't start out that way. It was sort of just like we invited anybody who wanted to speak, and we and we got a, a higher number of women actually submitting talks. And because they submitted them and they were good, um, they were chosen. So it wasn't like we went out of our way to say, okay, we want this percentage of women. They submitted talks, so so there there are women all throughout every area of open source. but And I say this, and a lot of people get upset with me because I say this, but women have sometimes a lot more on their plate. And and again, this is from my personal experience. Um, like My husband has his job. He's had his job in open source since the early 90s. And sure, he contributes to the household and stuff like that, but... I wear the mom hat, and you know I'm the taxi that takes the kids to school and stuff like that, and I, I recently started going back to school, so I'm a student as well, and then all my open source work. So there's many, many hats that, that I think women alternate between, and open source and technology is just one of those hats. So they may not be as busy in the limelight telling people what they're doing, but they are there.
0: Is it still the case that, a lot of them are hiding behind androgynous usernames.
1: I think that used to be the case, but I don't think that's the case anymore. Because most of the women um, that I know of, the men, you know, they don't go out of their way to hide the fact that they're a woman. Matter of fact, it's like, yeah, I am. So what? I'm here. <laughs> you know, it's not a. It, it's not a. I think Ubuntu is really in the last four or five years has really uh, made that possible for women to really get involved in a community and say this is a healthy community and this is the way it should be. Right now, like in 2006, it was sitting at about, I think the numbers were a little over 2% of that women made up the Ubuntu community. And that was sort of an unofficial survey. However, now we, we've, uh, thanks to Alan Bell and a couple other people, they started tracking the number of women members, Ubuntu members, because that's like the only hard numbers that we really had. And the numbers are up to like 4.64%. So we are growing and we are showing that the efforts that we're, we're doing in the Ubuntu women project is affecting you know, the overall health of the entire community. So it, it's on the rise and it's um, the diversity is, is growing and that's what we want to see.
0: I'm, I'm going to be a little bit controversial, sure. but in the British education system, I don't think we do nearly enough to encourage the girls into the technical disciplines. Is that the case in the States as well?
1: Well, I think in the States, and and again, I've traveled. we've, We've lived in the D.C. area, in the Boston area, in North Carolina, and a couple different places throughout the state, both private school and public school, and I think technology as a whole is not being stressed enough or if it is being stressed it is being stressed in the proprietary operating systems it's not being stressed that open source is a viable option and so a lot of kids who would love to get their hands on and have their very own computer have to share that time with with family members or parents who you know need to be on there or siblings or, or whatever and because of that they don't really get to take something apart or install what they want to install or learn about all these different technologies so i don't think it is that at least in the states that that technology in the elementary levels, like the say kindergarten through maybe eighth grade before they start into high school here isn't being stressed and by the time Any child reaches high school if they haven't already been introduced to it and and had a good experience with it, then it's less likely they'll go that that route. So I think overall, one more more emphasis on technology and open source alternatives need to be stressed. And then second to that, um, more women and and young girls need to know that yeah they can do this. And and that's where you've got to change the mindset of maybe parents or and not just school officials because. You know, if a parent doesn't feel like it's important for their child to learn that stuff, that's not going to be emphasized in their house either.
0: You've described yourself as a non-technical end user, and which which I do as well. Nobody lets me develop code because my code is appalling. I, I write and talk about this stuff instead. Open source, I think, has this image of being a, a walled garden that belongs to the, to the technical folks. Do you think those walls are coming down yet?
1: I do, and here's why. I know that ten years ago when I was trying to use anything open source and using those various operating systems, anytime my husband would leave and something would break, I'd pull my Mac back out and I would start using it. Because I knew how to use that. And I didn't and I didn't need help with it. I, I you know, I, I didn't need somebody to configure the printer setup so I could print and, you know, who wants to learn about samba and cups and all this kind of stuff and You know, what do you got to do to make it work? I could have cared less about that. I just wanted my stuff to do what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do, without any hassle. And then, finally, um, I get introduced to Ubuntu. And I'm not saying Ubuntu is the only option out there, and I'm not saying that I'm stupid. Far from it. What I'm saying is that it no longer, you you don't need to know command line. You don't even have to look at the command line if you don't want to now. Gone are those days, and Ubuntu has really, I think, brought Linux to the forefront of those non-developer, non-technical end-users. They're probably super users on whatever system they're already used to, but when they migrate over to Linux via Ubuntu, it's very easy for them now to become a super user with Ubuntu without ever touching a command line.
0: I can agree with that. We've now got enough viable versions of operating systems that you shouldn't have to touch a command line at all. I still get into discussions with the old-school Linux people about the fastest way to do anything is a command line, but most of the people that I know that I've been trying to convert wouldn't have the, the remotest interest or, or, or clue how to do that.
1: Well, I think, as you that the command line, which is faster well, you know, if somebody is used to GUIs and they can just click three or four clicks and it's done versus a command line, um, and you tell them the command is faster, but they don't understand what they're typing, and you have to walk them through what they're typing, it would have been faster for them just to click and do it than for you to show them all the steps to do it versus a command line. So I think it's... It, it's very much like language. If somebody knows words longer than mayonnaise and they're using those and they're trying to communicate with somebody and nobody understands what they're talking about, are they really communicating? Whereas if they just backed it up and didn't try to impress anybody with, you know, the, their vocabulary, they would communicate effectively and the person they're talking to would understand what they're they're talking about. So sometimes in our in our effort to show somebody how much we know, we end up proving the fact that you know their system was just as effective as the one they're trying to switch them to. So I think it's a trade-off sometimes.
0: Okay, I have to ask, follow up on, on your previous interview, the American Dairy Goat Association. <laughs> you were going to run an Ubuntu booth at the goat festival, and I can't believe I went trawling the Internet for a goat festival, but I did. <laughs> How did it go, and what response did you get?
1: It, act, it absolutely went amazing. And, and, and people ask me, how, why did you go to a goat festival? <laughs> well, well, in the small town that I'm in, agriculture is a big thing. And, and they send these goats um, through humanitarian effort to various areas of the world. Recently, they sent goats to Africa. And what they do is they send these goats there, and they teach people how to use these goats to make a living, be it cheese. Or uh, milk, or the, their fur, or or whatever it is. But they teach them to make a living with these goats. And so when they found out that Ubuntu had its roots in South Africa, they're like, Hey Amber, we want you to we want you to come and tell people about this. Well as I told people about it, um, I had businesses asking me, How do we migrate to that? I had local government asking me, What would this save us if we switched to some open source initiatives? Um, even if they didn't switch completely yet, but just Used various applications that were open source versus the proprietary applications. How would that help our community? How would that help businesses? We were a very in this area of North Carolina was very textile based, and the textile industry left and went overseas, so it left very very few jobs in this area. So it's it's really the economy's been hurt in ways I can't even describe here because of that, and so they were looking for ways to one, think differently, think out of the box, two, how could these initiatives help bring more money back into our, our county and our cities here? So that was one thing that was a great success and um, some follow-up meetings that are happening later on in the year from those connections. The coolest thing, though, was I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm setting the booth up, and I had people walk by and go, I use that, and I had no idea that in my little corner of the world. There were other Ubuntu users. But I found out throughout the day there was at least ten people that walked by and they knew about it. They they use it at home. They they they'd read Ubuntu User magazine. So they're like, we didn't know you lived here. And so it was it was great to connect with those other Ubuntu users who didn't know about the rest of the ubuntu community and how they could get involved in it so it was a great time talking about our loco teams and what they are and how they can get involved with them it was a great time telling people who had no idea about open source to introduce them to open source and what that meant through this initiative of a goat festival there were over a thousand people that showed up to this thing and everybody got to at least see the symbol of you know the circle of friends symbol and at least get to say, oh, I've seen that before. So that was a good thing. And and it was a lot of positive things that came out of having Ubuntu at a at a goat festival and what can come out of thinking out of the box, thinking past the typical geek and technical stuff.
0: Uh, that that is such a cool story. <laughs> Speaking of events, you are one of the, the, the main caretakers, contributors to the Ubuntu Weekly Newsletter, and you, you originally asked us to promote a couple of events that are coming up, and maybe you can just mention those right now.
1: Yes, um, um, on Monday, the 12th, we have um, Ubuntu Developer Week, and that's where anybody wants to know how Ubuntu development works, you get to sit down and classes on IRC, and learn how to package and learn how an introduction to, to all the developing. And just learn like there's going to be a two hour session on Django. So if you want to learn more about that, just that the technical side of things. So not only do we in the community um, set our sights on those new users and those non technical users and, and people who want to learn to become super users, we also strive to teach people to become developers of Ubuntu as well.
0: And as for the Ubuntu weekly newsletter, you're happy to take contributions on Ubuntu-related stories from anywhere?
1: Yes. I recently became the um, editor-in-chief for that. And, and so anything anybody can send makes my job a lot easier. I would much rather have too much news than not enough. And and people often say, well, how many RSS feed stories do you read a day? And I go through about 300 feeds a day just looking for things because I want to make sure that the stories that we put in there are really a snapshot of the most important things that happen surrounding Ubuntu for that week. Because truly, the Ubuntu Weekly Newsletter is a snapshot in time of what's going on in the Ubuntu community. Whether it's you know smooth sailing, whether it's controversial stuff like the you know moving the buttons to the left or whatever, you know anything like that that we can cover. We you know we want to cover. So anybody can send. They can email me. They can pop in the IRC channel, which is Ubuntu. Dash news on Freenode. Um, they can um, go to, uh, we have a wiki page, So, and I don't have it in front of me, but if you just go to uh, just Google or whatever, um, Ubuntu Weekly News Wiki, it'll come up and you can drop ideas on the idea wiki. Um, th- so there's a gazillion ways you can get information to us. We just request that it's, it follows the timeline in the newsletter. So if we're going to report whatever uh, Sunday through Saturday timeline, that it falls within that, that timeline.
0: We'll put all of the relevant links in the show notes so that anybody that didn't catch any of that can can go find the links and uh, take a look.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Amber. I won't tear you away from your 300 feeds any longer. I'm sure you've got (laughs) plenty of things to to keep trawling through.
1: (laughs) I do, but it's always a pleasure to to come on podcasts and not only be part of any podcast that's related to Ubuntu, but also, I always walk away learning something more than I knew when I started in. And so, um, I appreciate the opportunity to learn a little bit more. And, and I think you guys are great. And I love the fact that you have a podcast now. And I love reading you know, Full Circle Magazine. I tell people about it. Because um, the other thing that I think people might know now is that there's a partnership sort of between Ubuntu user and Full Circle. So, it's great to be part of that as well. Uh, you know, self-promotion. I'm promoting you so there's a lot of good stuff that, that happens. You guys do a great job, so thank you for having
0: me. That's fine. You're you're very welcome. Thank you for coming on. That interview was recorded before Amber's house fire. Fortunately, everyone was okay, and Amber is back, as busy as ever, in open source. We'll be back with another episode of the Full Circle Podcast on Hacker Public Radio very soon. I'm Robin Catling. Goodbye for now.
1: Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.